We don't just need a church service. We want an encounter with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So speak to us, open our hearts, open our minds. Amen? Amen. All right, we are in the book of Acts. And Charlie, great sermon last week. We are in Acts 10 today. And I have a lot of text I'm gonna go through. We're gonna go through the entire book of Acts 10. I'm gonna stop and teach our way through this and apply it at the end because it has something for each of us today. It's a little, it's an interesting passage. So you're welcome to turn with me in your worship center Bible or scroll with me or however you wanna do it or just listen to me. But in Acts 10, verse one, it says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Now remember, the centurion is the very icon of the Roman rule over the Jews at the time. And they're despised as the boot of Rome conquering their land. But there's something unique about this Cornelius, the centurion. And we read it in verse 2. Cornelius and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, God-fearing is a term used by the Jews at this time to speak about somebody who had come to believe in the one true God, our God the Father, but had not fully converted to Judaism through circumcision. Now, I'm gonna use that word a lot today, so if you're gonna giggle, just go ahead and get it out of the way now. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about this a lot. You see, for the Jewish faithful, you didn't convert to Judaism until you were circumcised. And Luke adds here that not only is he God-fearing, but that he gave generously. And to, to the culture at the time, the Jewish culture, if you gave generously to, to people of the poor and to God's kingdom, that was a high favor upon you. And even today, it's a mark of spiritual trust and spiritual uh, maturity. He also uh, prayed regularly. And we see in verse three, one day at about three in the afternoon, he has a vision. He distinctly sees an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at the angel in fear. What is it, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers, catch this, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to God. This angel appears to Cornelius and says something great. He says, Cornelius, God sees you. You have given generously. You don't hold your resources to yourself. Your prayers are honest and they're often. Your generosity and prayers have come up to God as an offering. And this shows the heart of Cornelius. He didn't give or pray for selfish means or motives. They were an offering. And an offering is something you lay down and you release control of and you give to God, whether it be a prayer or a gift. And he prayed and he, he gave and he laid it at God's feet. Now there's something interesting in this because it tells us that this actually matters to God somehow. Like God took special note of it and said, your generosity and your prayers, they've, God has heard them like a memorial. It's been like a memorial to God. And so I have to ask myself, do I, do I align with this? Do I give or is it only on my terms? Or when I give, do I need to control the outcome? Or is it truly an offering that I lay down? Or do I need credit somehow? Or when I pray, is it, is it few and far between and is it not honest? Is it not my full, honest heart? Cornelius here is a man who gives generously and a man who prays honestly. And it said it was an offering to God. That's something to think about, that God notices that. The angel then gives Cornelius some instructions. He says this, Now send some men to Joppa, a city 30 minutes to the south, 30 miles to the south, and bring back a man named Simon called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. This is like the original Travelocity itinerary. Go to this town, 
to this house, it's by the sea, to this man's house, and there's another man with these two names. You'll find him right there. It's so specific. And when the angel had gone, Cornelius called two servants, one who was a soldier of his and an attendant, and he told them everything, and he sent them immediately to go to Joppa, to the tanner's house, to find Peter. About noon the following day, so they've been traveling. They were on their journey, and they were approaching the city of Joppa. And Peter was there, and he went up on the roof to play to pray. Interesting side note. Um, do you know why Peter went to the roof to pray? He's at a tanner's house. You, and the old way of tanning hides, do you know how it smelled? He was getting away from that. He's on the roof to pray as the people are coming to, to, to find him. So we have Peter here. Peter's this disciple we learn from the Gospels, one of Jesus' closest. He's this, this brash and passionate, devout follower. He was born a Jew, and he's always followed the Jewish faith and the rituals his whole life. Transformed by Jesus, he's now in Joppa preaching to Jewish people. Now Peter goes up on the roof, but in verse 10, he becomes hungry. And wants something to eat. While a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now Peter runs into something we all run into. Whenever we pull aside to pray or read the Bible, what springs up? Anything. Everything. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. That to-do list just starts screaming at you. Uh, there's projects you've been meaning to do for three years that suddenly seem immediately important. I mean, I've gone to, I've retreated into my prayer closet and ended up cleaning out that drawer with, that drawer with the spare soy sauce packets and the, the batteries and the old instruction manuals and alphabetizing it and saying amen. And I, I just, you get sidetracked. Things, you know, we get hungry. We get dis distracted. And he finds himself, as he goes up to pray, hungry. And in this hungry, prayerful state, he falls into a trance. And the word here for trance is not a stupor. It's where we get the word ecstatic. This is a heightened spiritual state brought upon by the Holy Spirit. And now it's where it gets fun. Verse 11. Peter saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And the sheet contained all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles and birds. Now, Luke adds these specifics in here to a Jewish audience. The number four represents the four corners of the earth or the four directions. What he's saying here symbolically is that um, all the animals of, it's, whole, it's representing all the animals of the world. All of them. And for some of you, this isn't surprising, when you pray, you visualize food. You know, you see White House descending from heaven or brew pub pretzels. We, we, this happens to us. But we have to remember for him, this is a divinely sent vision from God for Peter's instruction. And the voice told him when he sees these animals in this vision, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter responds like this, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So as God's voice tells him to eat, he just reacts so, no. And his reaction might seem strange to us in our culture, but we have to remember as a devout Jew, he followed the Old Testament dietary commandments. And now, you've heard that um, a practicing Jew will not eat pork, right? But did you know in the Old Testament, it goes ahead and tells them, also, yeah, don't eat camels and rabbits, dogs, cats, horses, oh, and birds like bats and eagles, kind of like, you know, buzzards. And then seafood is kosher if it has fins and scales, which means that lobster and crawfish are off the menu. I know. Reptiles, amphibians, all avoided. I know you're very sad about that. 
So based on Peter's reaction to this, we can assume the sheet comes down and it's full of a bunch of animals, types of different animals, and many of which he would never eat. No, he would never partake in that, and he says so. It's a descending buffet of smoked pork. Stewed rabbit, amen, I got an amen. Stewed rabbit, fried frog legs and crocodile, and my favorite, all-you-can-eat crab legs. Just rise and eat. Okay, Lord, yes. But Peter doesn't feel this. The voice speaks a second time. Peter, do not call anything impure or unclean that God has made clean. This happens three times. And then immediately, this sheet is taken up into heaven. So now what? What do you do with that? Did God literally just give Peter instructions on his dietary needs? Is Peter now supposed to go start eating his way around the world? What did God mean by this? Is is God just making sure we can have ham sandwiches at at our meals here at the church? What What is God saying well, Peter's puzzled by this. There's more to it. He knows it. But, but God isn't going to leave Peter in the dark for long. In fact, God's timing is impeccable, and the next verse is beautiful. You see, because God is preparing Peter for an epic paradigm shift. Next verse. While Peter was on the roof, wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent from Cornelius found out where Peter, or Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, the Spirit prompts him in his heart, it says, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So Peter gets up and goes down and says, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And they reply, and they tell him the story about Cornelius and the angel, and they say that Cornelius is waiting for you because God said you have something to say to him. Well, what does Peter have to say? No one knows, but God told us you have something to say. Then Peter invited them into the house to be his guests. Now Peter obeys the spirit, but he had to be a little taken aback when he opens the door and sees three Gentiles, non-Jews there, one a Roman guard. You see, these are unclean people, so to speak. A good Hebrew quote would not associate and especially invite them in the house. But despite this, Peter follows the Holy Spirit's instruction. The next day, Peter and some of his friends set out back to Cornelius with the three attendants. And they finally arrive, and they find that Cornelius has gathered his entire family and close friends because Cornelius has big expectations for what's about to happen. No one knows what it is, but he has expectation. Verse 27. Peter walks inside the house and found a large gathering of people. Remember, Cornelius is a Roman. And he said to them, take note of this, you are well aware it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a, or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Peter said it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. But what Old Testament law is he referring to? Those of you scholars, which one he's referring to? Do you know there actually is no Old Testament law that says they should not associate with a Gentile? The law he's referring to is from the oral tradition, the rabbis in their midrash, and they would discuss all these things. 
They added to this, and, and so they, what they would do is over the centuries, they had taken God's law and like a snowball, added nuance and application to it until it gathered steam and gathered size, and pretty soon it's against the law to go visit or associate with a Gentile. God didn't tell his people to do this. The religious leaders came up with this. Peter is going against uh, centuries of church practice. He's going against a lifetime of personal experience. And his final, his final statement is just so big. He says this, God has shown me I should not call any one, not any animal, any one unclean or impure. You see, Peter had a dream about food, but the dream was a parable. Peter didn't need to go out and start eating foreign animals, but Peter did need to go out and start preaching to foreign people. It's not about the food, it's about the people. And anytime you're in a buffet, remember that principle. It's just a good thing to remember, okay? Peter starts preaching, because he, he has a crowd. Anytime Peter has a crowd, he starts preaching. And in verse 30, 43, he gets to this, this part. He says this, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And this was striking to me. It says everyone. And so I'm a, I went and checked the language on this because I wanted to see what the original intent was. And so I looked up what the meaning of everyone is here. And it shocked me because the meaning of everyone here is, is everyone. Everyone. Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness. What about that guy, the lowest of low lives? Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins. What about that one girl? She's vicious and she hates Christianity. Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness. That person who's so far from God, who despises God, who dives into sin, if they pray, will they receive it? Everyone. You see, Peter might have had his list of who's outside the box of who could receive, but we have our list too. We have people we believe could never come we have people we believe are so far gone or so whatever, whatever your list is. God says everyone who believes in Jesus can receive forgiveness of sins. I mean, that's, that's anyone. That's Raiders fans. Anyone. <laughs> while Peter was still speaking these words, while he's still preaching, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. In the middle of his third PowerPoint slide, the Holy Spirit has the audacity to fall on the room and they all start manifesting the Holy Spirit. The nerve. He's in the middle of a sermon and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And I love this. The next verse, it says this. The circumcised believers, which is like the weirdest name for some Christian street gang. Like the, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Catch the language here. Luke is saying that those who identified as Jewish were shocked that those who did not identify with Jewish were receiving the Holy Spirit, the evidence of Jesus transforming a life. You see, they believed that if they wanted to come, become a Christian, you had to become Jewish. You had to do something first before you became to come to Jesus. See, they had expectations on what kind of people could come, or they had expectations on what people had to do before they come to Jesus. And we can't blame them because we, we, we fall into this trap. We believe this. A lot of people believe that they have to clean up their life before they come to church, or, or get something straight or settled before they come back to church, or get something figured out before they come to Jesus. It's, it's like thinking you should go take a bath before you take a shower. You see, you come to Jesus and he does the work. You don't do the work and then come to Jesus. 
If you're here today and you believe somehow you have to improve your life to, to pre- have a prerequisite to be acceptable by Jesus, there is none. Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness. Bottom line, that is the gospel. And so these, these people, they had these, what, the men around Luke were just shocked, I'm around Luke, around Peter were shocked that they had not met their prerequisites because there were none. You believe in Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. Acts 10 is an amazing moment. This is so cool. The excitement, the joy they felt, the Holy Spirit poured out fresh on Jesus' followers. This is the Pentecost for the Gentiles. And it's so cool. Imagine the joy they felt here. Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the relief they felt? Do you know why they're relieved? Because they thought to come to God and be acceptable to, God, be acceptable to God, they had to get circumcised first. They believed it was the initiation of salvation. And can you imagine this altar call? Come down front if you'd like to receive Jesus. We have surgeons waiting next door. <laughs> they're relieved. They find out that God cares about the heart and the spirit regardless of your physical body. Amen. Praise God. (laughs) Peter then baptized these new believers. But then, but then we turn to chapter 11. He gets called back to Jerusalem by the religious elders, the Christian elders, the Jewish Jerusalem church. He gets called back to, to have an account for this. He gets called to the principal's office. You see, he'd broken the law. He had the audacity to go where he shouldn't have gone and associate with people he shouldn't have associated with. Verse two, so Peter went up to Jerusalem and there the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went to the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. You went to their house, Peter. What were you thinking? The the Jewish Jesus followers were holding on to traditions and experiences from their past. Quote, this is the way we've always done it, even though it's new. This would be like elders calling people into their their, their office and saying, you went to a church where people raise their hands? You went to a church where they use an organ? You went to a church and you took communion on your own? You talked about God at a bar? You hang out with drunks and lowlifes and people far from Jesus? What were you thinking, Peter? Come on. It's clear we shouldn't do this. Anytime we worry about preserving tradition more than proclaiming Jesus, we're on thin ice. Should I say that again? Anytime we worry more about preserving tradition or personal preference more than proclaiming Jesus, we're in trouble there. And here in Acts, Christianity was new, but it already had its own traditions. And they told Peter, quote, this is the way we've always done it. What do you have to say for yourself? And I can just see Peter. He's there in front of the elders. He's got, his mouth has got him in trouble so often in the past. And there he is. He, he pauses. He's caught. He looks at me each in the eye. He says, what can I say? Sheet happens. <laughs> A sheet came from the sky. <laughs> and there was animals. And he describes what happens. You see, God sends Peter a vision about animals, but what God is saying is this gospel, this Jesus, it is for all people. Stop viewing people through your old lens, Peter, and view them through my lens. Everyone needs Jesus. 
Jew and Gentile, every nation, every ethnicity, every person, every gender, they all need Jesus. So you go to every house, Peter. You go to every person, Peter. You go to every place where they are because they all need Jesus. And you stop worrying so much about these man-made preferences and traditions and instead you, rule, you worry about my rule. And my rule is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as yourself. Love God and love people. All people. All people. The church elders here in Acts 11, they hear Peter's account. And to their credit, they celebrate and they change the way they operate and view people. And the church grew and changed the world. Now, what does this have to do with us? What a crazy thing we've just read. But what does this have to do with us? How do we apply this to our own lives? Well, first and foremost, Orchard, anybody here listening, we have to recognize that just like Peter, we have ways that we prefer that things are done in church. And we judge a church based on our preferences. We have ways we prefer worship to be, to sound, what songs to sing, how many songs to sing. We have ways we believe a church should operate. We have preferences about certain church leaders or speakers. We have preferences about church. And then we let those preferences dictate our experience with the divine God and his people. Each of us, I want to challenge each of us to look at our preferences and to perhaps realize they are probably more rooted in our past than in the word of God. The word of God doesn't give us a ton about how we should worship. There's freedom in Christ. When we stop letting our past and preference dictate our engagement with God, we can pursue him in a whole new way. There's some people here that are new to our church. Their name is uh, Scott and Jennifer Hendrickson. And I asked the permission for the story. They're here today. And just so you know, I don't just talk about people without your permission. If you're worried, you'll never tell me a story again. But um, I was in Bonfire, and she came up to me, and I had a great conversation. They're, they're new to here. They're, they've been here for a month, month and a half, two months. And they actually moved to the area because he was called to be a pastor at a, a church of a different denomination, different type of church. And some circumstances happened beyond their control, and they found themselves looking for a church that met their preferences, that met what they liked and what they believed. And they found it difficult. Their, their denomination is very different than ours. I know it's hard to believe there's different churches than ours. You guys know that? You, you come from them, right? Do you know that's beautiful? Do you know that, um, like Baskin Robbins, I just love that the church has different flavors for all people, okay? It's okay. So they were here, and they're looking, for, and they're finding it difficult to, to plug in, and they had a... Um, or to find a place to worship. And they had some friends inviting them um, to the orchard, encouraging them to come. And as we're there at Bonfire talking, she's telling me this stuff, and she goes, and then I saw your t-shirts. They say, love God and love people. And I love that! She goes, I, I know I can do that. And as we sat there and talked, it was a great conversation. She said, I told her, I said, you know, at the orchard, we like to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's Jesus above all. And she goes, I like that too! And so it's been beautiful to watch as, as they've come to attend, and as we talk to them, they're all in. They've found a home here. They, 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 they love God. They love people. And they consider Jesus the main thing. And the best part is, uh, we're going to see God do work through them in our midst and people like you in our midst. And as God calls more and more people from more and more places and more and more different kinds of churches to here, where we love God, love people, keep the main thing the main thing. Listen, one thing Charlie always says is, here at the orchard, there's room for everyone. And we've proven that as we have people from all backgrounds, all types, all preferences. Now, are we all happy with every song and every sermon? Just nod. 
course not. Our preferences still get in the way. But I love the story of, of the Henriksons and how they, they plugged in. And, and our church is going to be blessed through them and many people like them. We got to take this a step further, though. When it comes to putting our preferences between us and God, and when we see what Peter did here, he had his preferences and God interrupted it. There's a quote that says, if you do the same thing, you get the same results. And in your walk with Jesus, I just want to say, maybe it's time to shake things up. Maybe it's time to try something new. Perhaps your faith is dry and your passion waning. Do you know you have freedom in Christ to try new ways? Let me just give you some things. Try some new things. During worship, for some of us in this place, we get the same result every song because we're doing the same thing every song. What if we engaged in worship differently? Whatever that would be like for you. If you're a hand raiser, maybe you put them down and sit quietly and contemplate. Maybe you get on your knees. Maybe you do something else. If you're not a hand raiser, maybe you just put a pinky up. <laughs> I know, I know. Hey, I know. Listen, uh, maybe instead of singing a song, maybe you consider it a prayer. Maybe instead of noticing the band, you consider the words a prayer to God Almighty. As Psalm 105.2 says, sing to God, sing praises to him. So maybe this next worship song we sing, maybe you sing to God and you engage in it as a prayer. Try something new in, in your prayer life. Maybe try something new. If you're a journaler, maybe you do something different. Maybe go on a, a, a prayer walk. Maybe pray out loud. Maybe start journaling. Try something new. Whenever you see something you're hemmed in by your old preferences, that aren't biblical, try something new. Join a growth group. Volunteer to serve. Sometimes if your faith is stale, step up and lead something. Take a risk. Come up front and ask for prayer. We all know we all need it. Maybe go to the, maybe go to the bookstore, if they still have those, and buy a book that's a Christian book by an author you don't know. Read something new. On the way to work, I know the political talk radio really feeds our hearts right now, but perhaps you put on a podcast and feed your soul. I'm just saying this. Our preferences, when we get, in the, we get in a rut, and sometimes, like Peter, it's okay to get out and do something, try something different. I would encourage you, if you find your faith in a rut, try something new. Even today in worship, try something new. Now, we never try things that conflict with the word of God, but outside of that, we have freedom. Don't let your, don't let your past experiences get in the way of experiencing Jesus. Because at the end of it all, encountering Jesus, encountering God and his Holy Spirit is what it's all about. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom you have been set free. Stand firm and don't be burdened any longer. Peter was set free, but still burdened by old tradition and preference. God said no more. The final application of the passage is this. Jesus gave Peter a vision of a sheet that represented what was holding him back. A holy sheet moment. If God gave you a vision of what was holding you back, what would your sheet hold? Seriously, if God gave you a vision like he did Peter and a sheet came down, what would it hold for you? What is the thing that stands between you and following God fully? What stands between you and what God wants for you? What stands between you and sharing the gospel with the world that needs it? Because for Peter, it was, I would not, he would not share it with certain people. But what is it for you? Perhaps your sheet would be lowered and it would be loaded with reputation and rejection. 
because you have, a, you have to lay, because he would want you to lay down your fear of rejection. He would want you to lay down your preservation of your reputation and follow him unfettered and freely in the life he calls you to. Maybe God would reveal to you that the sheet is full of shame and guilt, insecurity. Because based on your past and some things that have happened to you or you have been involved in, guilt and shame is something that covers your life. And that sheet would descend and say, do not carry that burden. Jesus never asked for you to carry that. In Christ, you're free. There's no condemnation in him. If God were to reveal what is holding you back, perhaps the sheet would be loaded with comfort. Maybe you're comfortable in your faith and it's time to take a risk. Maybe it's pride. You're too prideful to even make a change and God would say, rise up. Like he told Peter, rise up. He would say, rise up. Repent. Take a step. Perhaps it's, uh, perhaps the sheet would simply hold a mirror and in that mirror you would see your character and your secret sins and the things that you're involved in. He would say, my son, my daughter, Repent. Turn to me. You are forgiven. Perhaps you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus. And so when he reveals something to you, what holds you back from receiving him is doubt or maybe fear. I don't know what it would be. But even with that, Jesus calls you to come to him with your doubt, in your fear. I don't know what your sheet would hold. I don't know if you had this vision what God would show you. I bet for each of us it would be a little similar but a very unique. I don't know what your sheet would hold, but he does. And so today as we end, and as we go into communion, and remember communion here at the orchard, there's no class you have to take. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And if you want to do this in remembrance of him, you are welcome to this. And you take uh, the symbol of his body and his blood, and you thank him for his sacrifice, for making a way for the Holy Spirit to fill your life with the salvation we have. And then you ask, you say, God, what would my sheet hold? What is holding me back from what you want from me? Visualize that sheet. See what he would put in it. What's he gonna tell you? What is it that holds you back from what he would have? Orchard, let's pray. Jesus, we pray and ask today that during this time and your kindness, that you would be very forthright with us and, and loving. You love, you love us, but show us what it is that holds us back. You showed Peter all those animals, but what would you show us today? What gets in the way of us following you the way you desire? In your kindness, reveal that to us. Lord, help us be a church of people, a group of people who love God, love people above all things, and may our preferences stop being based on our past and stop be, start being based on our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. Hear our worship now as we sing our prayers. In Jesus' name, everyone said,